What's going on out there in podcast land? It's your boy, Pastor Chris Hernandez. And this week, me and Jimmy are going to be taking a week off as Jimmy is down in Columbia handling his business. In the meantime, we thought we'd play for you one of our very first episodes where we discuss the issue of Calvinism. So we hope you enjoy and tune in next week as me and Jimmy are going to be sitting down discussing a very important topic. In the light of some recent events and recent news in the Christian and evangelical world, we're going to be discussing the issue of the Christian and suicide. So very important topic. We hope you tune in next week. God bless. You preach heresy, I preach the gospel. I follow the apostles, you follow Pentecostals. You're not reformed, so that's a risk. I believe the five points like an asterisk. I repent, but you're in sin still. I spit right well, Here we go. Welcome to episode number four of SolarCast. What's going on out there in the podcast world? My name is Pastor Chris, and here I got my boy. Jimmy Delo Santos. What's up, Jimmy? How you doing, Pastor Chris? Ah, uh, doing good, man. Doing good. Just full again, man. We need to stop eating before these podcasts. <laughs> Maybe we want to take a nap. Hey, this is your wife's cooking this time, so it's pretty good. I enjoyed that. I appreciate that, brother. Give, yeah. give some props to Christina Hernandez. Yeah, you got to, man. Got to. So, yeah, man. What's going on? What's new with you? Well, not much. It's getting closer and closer to Christmas time. Yep. It's that time of the year. It's beginning know. to look a lot like Christmas, huh? That's what they, that's what they say. <laughs> right. I guess maybe in the stores, right? Right. Um, yeah. What is that? Com- yeah. Commercialism? Commercialism, whatever. I think we're going to be talking about that next week, right? We're going to be having a special Christmas episode right before right. Christmas. So, right. Yeah. We can add that to the isms we've talked about. We talked about legalism, antinomianism, evangelism. Commercialism. Commercialism. There's nothing worse than commercialism. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's it's good to, to be here on another episode, man. And today, talking about something... Again, like we mentioned last week, that's near and dear to us, man. And today's episode is going to another ism. Another ism, yeah. yeah. And today's episode is going to be interesting, man, because uh, we're going to be talking about something that maybe a lot of my friends and family, as well as your friends and family, have some misconceptions of, right? So, yeah. uh, and that just to get right to it is Calvinism. Calvinism. Today we're going to be discussing Calvinism, right? So, if you have listened to the rest of our podcast, especially the first podcast. You would know that we are going to be talking about things that are practical, sharing stuff from the faith that are practical, that come from a Reformed Baptist perspective or point of view, so to speak. So in saying that, being Reformed, one of the tenets of Reformed, what we would call Reformed theology, is Calvinism. You know, that's a, that's a big deal. And people hear Calvinism all the time, that word being thrown out. And I know anyway from some of the past circles that I used to run with, that can be seen as a bad word. So let's go ahead and start there. What is Calvinism, Jimmy? When we talk about Calvinism, what do we mean by Calvinism? Well, a lot of people would refer to those things as the uh, doctrines of grace. Doctrines of grace. Right. But some people would just see it as the teachings of Calvin. But I think it goes even further than that. I think you go all the way back to the Bible. And then you have the... uh, Augustine and uh, Pelagius way back in the uh, fourth century. You can't talk about Calvinism without talking about Arminianism as a contrast to what we believe in Calvinism. But those things have been debated throughout our Christian lives. I just want to start off with something before we even get into all of this, because we're going to we're going to kind of lay it out point by point. Again, there's five points of Calvinism. We call them tulip. Right. Right. And we're going to go through the T, the U, the L, the I, the P. Before we even begin there, I wanted to share one verse to ground us in Scripture that we need to base everything on as we go forward. And it's this. uh, In Proverbs 21, verse 1, it says this. 
The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Now, the reason I, I use that verse is because what we believe in Calvinism is ground in the sovereignty of God. Right. And the sovereignty of God says that he's in control. He is in control. And I don't think there's anyone that would argue with us when we ask that question, even of Arminius, uh, people that are. Uh, and again, when I say Arminianists. Yeah, we'll get to that. right? Yeah, we'll yeah. get to that. But I do want to say they believe uh, an Arminian will believe in the triune God. Right. They will believe in Jesus Christ. They will believe in his uh, sacrificial death, his atonement. They will believe in the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They, 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 they're brothers, but they don't see what we see when it comes to the sovereignty of God. It breaks down for them at some point. What we hold to is that God is sovereign in all things. Right. And so I want to ground us there before we even get that's started good. in some of the stuff. Yeah, that, that's good. That's a good place to start. And I guess to simplify things a little bit, when we talk about Calvinism, for the average person out there that may be confused or uh, may not understand what that is, it's basically a view of salvation that God chose us before the foundations of the earth. And most people would agree with that. But we would take it a little step further and say we had no part in the choosing at all. It was all a work of God. He chose us. He regenerated us. He initiated the work of salvation from beginning to end. It is all a work of Christ. Uh, Salvation is of the Lord, as scriptures puts it. So that's what Calvinism is. It is the belief that there are those that are elect that are God's people chosen before the foundation of the earth and everybody that comes to faith everybody that's a Christian is part of the elect they are a Christian because Christ chose them they did not choose Christ now people would say well it was me that raised my hand it was me that said a sinner's prayer and so forth but even if you think that was a and we'll talk about that a little bit but even if you think that was a means uh, to get into the kingdom or it was just something practical that you did even that was initiated by the holy spirit that's what calvinism believe everything from beginning to it with your salvation is initiated by God and His sovereign will. So we call it Calvinism, and this is kind of what you touched on. We call it Calvinism because a guy by the name of John Calvin was kind of the first to systematize this view. Uh, in his works, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, which is his, his most famous work, he kind of articulates this view. Now, of course, he didn't call it Calvinism. That came much later. People started calling it Calvinism. It was just this view of salvation, what we call the doctrines of grace, uh, soteriology. Whenever we talk about soteriology, ology, people know, is the study of, the study of salvation. When we look at salvation, we study salvation, we see that the way salvation comes to pass is through these doctrines of grace where Christ uh, initiates salvation. He brings us, he gives us the faith to respond to him. Everything, again, as I said, is a work from him. And Calvin, John Calvin, was kind of one of the first to come along and kind of systematize that and put that in a more practical way where the, the reader can understand. So that's why it's called Calvinism. It's not that it's just this separate you know, cult apart from Christianity that people follow or anything like that. If you don't want to call it Calvinism and you consider yourself a a Calvinist or whatever, that's fine. It's just a name that people put on. Again, 
John Calvin was kind of the one that kind of articulated that, but we can go back further and we can see that this is something that we see in Scripture. It's not something that we get from John Calvin. Exactly. Uh, before John Calvin, as you mentioned, there was Augustus and one of the early church fathers that was articulating this view of salvation. Again, goes back to Scripture, which has to deal with original sin. That was Augustine's big issue there. Where he was combating, as you mentioned, Pelagius at the time, at his time. Pelagius was a guy who, who came in and denied original sin, which clearly we see from Scripture that we are all born sinners, right? Augustine pushed back on that and articulated. Actually, you look at the uh, history there, Pelagius was seen as a heretic in his time for actually bringing in this, this view and denying original sin. So Augustine had to push back on that and articulate what original sin was and the need for God to initiate our salvation because of this original sin. Yeah. So it goes back further than John Calvin. We can go back again, and we'll mention some scriptures here in a second, yeah. to scripture sure. uh, where uh, we see this uh, doctrine come to pass. Yeah, sure. Um, you touched on uh, Augustine, Pelagius. There's a couple of ways to view uh, Pelagius and, and his teachings. There's Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism, uh, when we look at what you were saying, original sin, which is the the idea that we are, um, there's nothing good in us. Right. That's what Augustine was saying. Uh, when he came to Pelagius, he said, there there is good in us. And the semi-Pelagian would say, there's some good, there's some bad. Right. They're kind of in the middle, middle of the road kind of Pelagians. And so where we come from is, and this is where we're headed for the first letter in the acronym TULIP, Right. The T, total depravity, right. which you were just calling original sin, we're gonna we're gonna touch on that. We're gonna define what total depravity is. Now, I wanted to start off what with what it doesn't mean. When I when I say total depravity, it doesn't mean that man is the epitome of all evil. Right. I think you look at Satan for that. Right. I think you look at him for that. Relative good exists, but truly good is lacking. Right, right, and and I think that the, the the place that the Calvinists would come in is to say that when we look at total depravity and what we call it total depravity, we would be better served to call it total inability. Right. When I look at verses in uh, Genesis, starting off just uh, ver verse, uh, just to start off, Genesis six five says this. When I show this to people on the street, sometimes I'll ask the question. I always like to ask the question when I'm witnessing someone. Do you consider yourself to be a good person? Most people hold that in their hearts and say, I am a good they person. They are good, yeah. I have a good heart. Yeah, I don't throw grandma off the cliff or anything like that, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm a good guy. Yeah. I'm a good guy. But I get to verse 5 of chapter 6 in, verse Gen in Genesis, and it says that this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And when I read that, I'm thinking, wow. That's a strong and a bold statement. Every intent and thought in my heart is only evil continually. Just to go a little bit further, when I get to Psalms uh, chapter 14, the Lord, this is verse 2. The Lord looked down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. And when I, when I take those two and I put them together, and I start to see if every intent of my heart is only evil continually, and the Bible tells me that there's none that seek after God, mm -hmm. and I got to say there's nobody looking for God. Right. I don't have the ability to do so in my flesh. Outside of Christ, 
I don't have the ability to seek after God. Right. Uh, Jesus even said so. At, at some point he was talking about, hey, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven. If you take it just a second to, to listen again to what he said. If you, and he's talking to a set of people, a group of people. If you, being evil, yeah. know how to give good gifts to your children. And that should tell you right there, we don't think that every, that man is completely, I mean, without the ability. He gives good gifts to his children, but Jesus still called him evil. Right. A lot of people will look at total depravity and say, well, you think man is completely bad, as evil as he can be. I believe in the in the common grace of God to restrain evil. Right. If Hitler was allowed his way, many more would have been dead. If it right. wasn't for the common grace of God to restrain the evil that came from Hitler, many more would be dead. Right. Yeah. And so before we go any further on that, we're touching on Tulip right now, and we'll, we'll get to that a little bit deeper. I want to just briefly read from the London Baptist Confession of Faith. Uh, which is our confession here, uh, in chapter 10. And it, it gives a good brief summary of what we're speaking of when we speak about Calvinism. And it says, In God's appointed and acceptable time, He is pleased to call effectually by His Word and Spirit those He has predestined to life. He calls them out of their natural state of sin, total depravity, what we're talking about, and death, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. He enlightens their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. He takes away their heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh. He renews their wills and by his almighty power turns them to good and effectually draws them to Jesus Christ. Yet he does all this in such a way that they come completely freely since they are made willing by Grace. I think that's a good little paragraph that sums it all up. That it is, it is a work of God who calls people, but yet as he calls people, it's not like he, and this is one of the big pushbacks, oh, does that mean that we're all robots? No, we freely come to him because now he gives us a desire to come to him. Because without it, as we were speaking of, and as we get back to uh, total depravity, without it, we wouldn't be able to, to seek God on our own because we don't want to seek God. Our, in our natural state, going back to what we are talking about with Augustine, original sin, we have no desire to please God. We're like Adam. We just want to hide. Right. As soon as we, we become sinners, as soon as we fall, we just want to run and hide. And it is God who has to come looking for us, right? Just yeah. like he did Adam. So let's, let's talk about Tulip because I think Tulip is one of the ways that best defines Calvinism. TULIP is, a, is the acronym T-U-L-I-P. So when we talk about TULIP, we start with T, and we're already talking about this now, which is total depravity, meaning that mankind in his original sin is totally depraved. They are uh, born sinners, not seeking God, uh, not wanting to follow God or to find God. So God has to initiate his work when we talk about saving mankind. No one wants to find God because we want to hide in our sins. So when we talk about total depravity, that's what we're speaking of, is that mankind is dead in its sin. Dead men do not make themselves live. Right. Even Lazarus, when he was in his tomb, he couldn't just walk out of his tomb. What did he need to happen? He needed Christ to come and say, Lazarus, come forth, right. because he was dead. Yeah. So plenty of scriptures tell us how we are dead in our sins. 
now we're alive to Christ. We look at baptism. It's it's the whole analogy there of being dead and raising new to Christ, right? right. Uh, dying to our old man. So this whole work of total depravity, this whole articulation of total depravity has to do with mankind's inability to find God, right? He, he won't even seek after God. Right? Right. I mean, that's what the scriptures tell us. There's none that seek after God. Right. Not even one. There's one more scripture I want to hit before we move away from total depravity, where Paul talks about what's within himself. Right. And you'll find that in Romans uh, 7, uh, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to, to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Wow. And so when we look at that verse, we look and we see, well, Paul is saying this about himself, and he wrote two-thirds yeah. of the Testament. And if that's Paul, yeah, I look at myself and say, uh, most likely the same way. And a lot of or people, worse, yeah. yeah or worse. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm going to tell you this. Uh, the, the stumbling block for a lot of people is that they want to have had something to do with their salvation. Right. I think Jonathan Edwards said it best when he said, the, the only thing. thing that I contributed to my salvation was the sin that made it necessary. Right. And see, that's the thing. I come to him sinful. He is the one that does all the cleansing. Because the order of salvation is what we're talking about. The right. ordo salutis. Right. What comes first? And it has to be the effectual call of Jesus Christ. Right. Because if Lazarus is dead in his tomb, mm-hmm. and Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, that happens first. Jesus' call comes first. And I ask the question, what can a dead man do? If Ephesians 2 tells us we're dead in our trespasses and our sins, then as a man, what could I possibly have done to save myself? I, I think that's where we have this this rub, mm-hmm. this this thing, because people want to have had something to do with it. I walked the aisle. Right. I heard when it was it was God working in you, the Holy Spirit working on your heart to bring you to light. Right. And... A lot of people think they're good, you know, and they're just a good person that adds Christ to their life, you know, that adds Jesus for salvation. So I'm, I'm walking along. I'm a good person. I'm not a, necessarily a murderer or a thief or some. Yeah, I do some sinning here and there, but who doesn't? And all of a sudden I find Jesus to make my life better. Right. So they see themselves as good. And then with Jesus, they become saved right, or greater. The fact of the matter is, as we just read here, there's no one good. Yeah. yeah, and you're not going to find anyone that is good enough to want to seek God on their own without an effectual call, without Christ initiating, or God through the Holy Spirit initiating that work. So that's what we mean when we talk about total depravity. So let's go on to the next one. So we talk about the tulip. There's the T in total depravity. What about the U? What does that stand for? Unconditional election. Unconditional election. Yeah. Right. I want to. I want to contrast something here because it it makes sense to look at the Arminian view as conditional election Mm -hmm. versus unconditional election. I'm going to make this, I'm going to bring this down to, we talked about this before, how this, this, uh, the solacast, the solacast is going to be something that the average man can understand. Right. So this is kind of high theology that we're talking here, but I want to bring it down to a place where they understand in a, an election here on in the United States. Oh, don't bring that up, man. There's some <laughs> fights going on these days. We talk about yeah. elections here in the United States. <laughs> Hanging chads and all. <laughs> <laughs> we, we talk about elections here in the United States. They're all conditioned elections. Right. That candidate has promised something, mm-hmm. or he stands for something, mm-hmm. or he's just your type of guy. But he meets the conditions for your vote. This is, this is a, a view that uh, the Armenian will have, is right. that... They'll look and they'll say that God looked down the corridor of time 
So, so let me stop you right yeah. there. Just okay. I, I don't mean to interrupt. We're throwing out Arminianism a lot, and I think we you touched on it briefly. Let's just kind of flesh that a yeah. little bit. So the Arminian is the one who views salvation the opposite of Calvinism. Yeah. They view that, and and to tell you the truth, I would say what maybe eighty percent of the evangelicals in, in America are Arminian. Right, so most of the people that you'll see in the Christian bookstores, most of the popular preachers, people on TV, most of the contemporary Christian singers that you listen to on the radio, are going to be Arminian. Yeah. Their view of salvation is that they chose God. Yes, they're going to read some of the passages that talk about how God chose us before the foundations of the earth, but they're going to interpret those in a different way. Sure. Right. But the bottom line is their view is that the elect are those who choose God. Yeah. Right. Well, we would say the elect are those God chooses. So there's the difference. There's the, the difference. there's the simplest contrast there. Yeah. That the the Armenian says when we read scriptures in the Bible that talks about the elect, it's talking about all those who came to faith by choosing Jesus. Yeah. What we would say as Calvinists is, is that as we read the Bible and we see the elect, that's speaking of everyone who God chooses, not everyone who chooses God. So the Armenian believes that they choose God, that they responded to Christ through a, through a gospel call or a gospel presentation and so yeah. forth. And it was them that pretty much initiated the work by their decision or by their prayer or by walking in an aisle or by raising a hand. So that is what we, we mean when we speak of Arminianism. So just think of pretty much probably most of the people listening to us out there, the church you go to, it more than likely is Armenian. Right. I think most people that haven't wrestled with this right. land on the Armenian And side. we were Armenians. And we yeah. were. We, we come from that place. Right. And here's the thing. I think, again, going back to the very beginning, I don't think Armenians are not Christians. One, one thing, quickly, sure. quickly. Sure. I'm going to let you finish. We're throwing out Armenian. We don't mean from people from Armenia, the country, right? <laughs> no. Jacobus Arminius right, was okay. a teacher in the late 1500s. Right. Uh, it was actually his students, after Calvin died, his students are the ones that came up with the five points of Arminianism. Arminianism yeah. And basically, really, the history is interesting because the five points of Calvinism, TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, mm-hmm. are actually a counter. A, yeah. a counter of uh, Jacobus Arminius and his students of what they came up with for the five points of Arminianism. And so this is actually what makes it easy for us to, to look back and say, okay, when I look at unconditional election, it's the Arminian point of view that it's conditional election. Right. And what I was saying earlier is that an Arminian would believe that God looked down the corridor of time, mm-hmm. saw those that would elect him, that mm-hmm. would choose him, right. and then he chose them. So right. it, it's dependent it's on... It's more foreknowledge than anything. Yeah, yeah, more foreknowledge than anything. But from a Calvinist viewpoint, we don't say that. We, right. we believe that God, in his sovereignty, chose those that would be his be from before the foundation of the world. Right. He didn't look down, down the quarter of time, although he knows all things. Mm-hmm. He is omniscient. He didn't look down the quarter of time and make his choosing dependent on man's choosing him first. Right. Which doesn't make sense anyway if you understand the doctrine of God and that he transcends time. He's a God that's greater than time. Yeah. So we're talking about unconditional election, meaning that God chose us not based on any condition of ours. So it's not like we're saying, I'm sitting here today and I'm saying, I'm a Christian and God chose me for salvation because I was born into a good family or he chose me because of something special in me. Kind of like the analogy that you're using in voting, right? We, yeah. choose, we choose these politicians because of something in them. 
It's not like God chose us because of something in us. His election of us is totally unconditional. That's what yes. we mean when we talk about unconditional yeah. election. I didn't meet a condition right. for God to choose me. That's what makes grace even more amazing. Mm, yeah. The fact that he would choose me a sinner, right. steeped in my sin, there's no condition that I met. There isn't something that I did. There, there isn't something special that I did that he would choose me. That's why unconditional election is such a wonderful doctrine. When we look at it and I look at it, this is one of the things I think... Why would you choose me? Hmm. You know what? It makes grace even greater. One of the things that really gets me about this is that this is God's doing from a Calvinist perspective. It's not man's condition. It's unconditional election. From an Arminian viewpoint, it is conditioned. God's choice is conditioned on man's choice. My response. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that, that it just, it, from a viewpoint of knowing God is sovereign, right. above all things, it doesn't make sense. And that's where it starts. I think many people, especially in the Armenian camp, they have no problem with declaring the sovereignty of God or affirming the sovereignty of God, if you will. Their problem is just seeing that through. That knowing that if God is sovereign, do you know what that means? That means that you're going to have some issues when it comes to things like free will and so forth. Yes. Because your will is only free up to God's sovereignty and up to his sovereign will. You wanted to share a verse? Well, yeah, and I'm going to say something about that too because I have been in a Bible study where we talked about this uh, sovereignty of God. And at the very end of the of the Bible study, you got to understand this Bible study has all kinds of people that come to it. Right. And I lead it. It's a, it's a thing that I do at work. And after one of these sessions and we were talking about where they didn't know it, we were talking about Calvinism, but they just kind of didn't. I didn't put a name on it. Right. But at the very end of the of the session, it was, well, it's a good thing God gives us free will. <laughs> and I thought yeah. it was funny that they would get that from that. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I, did I say it wrong? Yeah. But here's, here's where I wanted to go. I wanted to read a, a scripture here that kind of backs up what we're saying. John chapter 6, verse 37 says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move over to verse 39 that says this, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Mm-hmm. Now, it goes. there's more Calvinism in there than, than, than you can shake a stick at. But uh, really, it's saying that, you know, God chose these and he's going to give me mine. Right. And Jesus says, God has already chosen who he's going to give to me. But one more verse, John 15, verse 16 says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my father's name, he may give it to you. That first part, you did not choose me, but I chose you. How much more clear can that be? Right. Let me just say this. Free will exists. Right. It's not like, you know, well, then I don't have a choice to choose whether or not I can choose. Right. I've had somebody throw that at me before. And the, and the answer, or maybe the question that I had for them was this. Do you have, right now, could you repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ? I guess I could. I said, free will's not taken away from you. Right. Now, the two can exist at the same time. They don't contradict each other. That's a mystery that we can get into later. But yeah. uh, I'd say that, that these, these verses just kind of point to the fact that it is God that did the choosing in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. So let's move on. So we got... T, we talked about total depravity. We have the U is unconditional election. And the L in TULIP, the L stands for? Limited atonement. Limited atonement. So what do we mean by limited atonement? 
Limited atonement. You know, this is the one that gets real sticky. Right. If so it, let's talk about atonement. What is what is atonement? Well, right? atonement is that uh, Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, right, atoned for our sins. Atoned for our sins. Right. Yeah, he made the payment. He made, that the payment. made it possible for me to make it to heaven. Yeah, he satisfied right the, the wrath of the wrath yes. of God. Yeah. Interesting. Now, what what we have here, though, and I, I want to say this: when I talk about limited atonement, it's not limited in its power. Mm-hmm. His atonement. Christ's atonement is unlimited in power. What it's limited in is scope, right? The scope of who he died for. And this is one of the things that that, that really gets up some people's nose. Yeah, this is probably one of the biggest reasons yeah. people reject Calvinism. Because right. they want to believe that he died for all. Right. That everyone in the world, everyone in the world is who Jesus died for. And yet if that were the case then no one would go to hell. It leads to universalism, which is the belief that everybody is going to be saved. Exactly. If we say that Jesus died for all, then everybody's going to be saved. Everybody's going to be saved. Because if we talk about atonement, we we go back and talk about atonement. Atonement is satisfying the wrath of God. Right. If he satisfied the wrath of God for all, then all will be saved. And if all are going to be saved, then who goes to hell? Right. Why evangelize? Why evangelize? It's it's an Arminian viewpoint that actually limits the evangelism. That's what we talked about last week. Right. Calvinism pushes us to evangelism because we're commanded to, because his sheep will hear his voice and come to know him. That's why we go preach. Right. But in this view, from an Arminian viewpoint, if we were to say that he died for all, then why even why go? Even why yeah. even go preach? And I think a lot of, especially re- Reformed folks, when we talk about limited atonement, I like to use it, just to be more clear, I like to use the word definite atonement. Yeah. That Christ's atonement was definite, meaning it had a particular people in mind when he went to the cross. He took names to the cross, basically. Yeah. He knew what he was doing. It was for our particular people. It was for his people. It was for his elect. He didn't just die to make salvation possible. Yeah. He died to make salvation certain for those who would call upon his name, for his That's life. That's true. And you know, it's funny because even just as we're talking, this is not even something in my notes, but uh, John one twelve is, is something I use all the time because I have a, a bunch of people that will tell me, we're all children of God. Hmm. And I look at them and I say, wait a minute, hold on a second. John one twelve tells me this. And to those that believe on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Right. Just right now in our conversation, this is happening. This is not something that I prep for, not something I put in my notes. But now I'm looking at John one twelve and saying, hey, that is exactly telling me that he died for a particular set of people, right. his children, those that would believe on his name. Hmm. Yeah, just to briefly read a verse here, uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins right right he has a particular people in mind when going to that cross so this is what we mean when we talk about limited atonement or you want to rather use the word definite atonement this is what he means his people is who he died for and i'm going to share a couple of verses here also Uh, i'm in john chapter 10 verse 11 says this i am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep Mm. Moving on to verse 14, it says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Mm. He knows his sheep 
Right. He knows who are his. And he's used yeah. that in other, in other passages right. also. My right. sheep know my voice. Right. They hear me. We've talked about this before last week in evangelism. My sheep hear my voice. They know me. One more thing I want to I throw out there, just for those people that are still stuck on this limiting the scope of, uh, you know, limiting yeah. this thing. That are bothered by it, maybe. Yeah, that are bothered by it, maybe. Just a couple of questions for you to ponder and take away from, from Solacast. Mm-hmm. Take it away. Take it away. Wrestle with these couple of questions. Is the word of God ever wasted? Does the blood of Jesus get spilled? Wow. Right? Those are not questions I got out of a book. These are questions that came up in my study, right. in my mind. I thought about these things. I, I need to ask you those that. Good questions. Um, th- those questions right there will go right to the heart of what we're talking mm-hmm. about. None of Jesus' blood is wasted. Mm-hmm. It's used for those that are his. Mm-hmm. And and that has to that has to bear weight upon you for you to think about this. Right. So we, we, we don't have all the time in the world. Yeah. <laughs> we could go on for um, this, this particular one, yeah. subject yeah. for quite a while. Yeah. But we're going to keep on moving. So, yeah, let's go to uh, the I in Tulip, which is? Irresistible grace. Irresistible grace. So when we speak of irresistible grace, we're speaking of God's sovereign grace, which he extends to his elect. And as he extends it to his elect, those that are chosen before the foundation of the earth will not be able to resist. They will come to him. They will be drawn. All the Father gives me will come to me, as Christ says, right? So they will be drawn to him. So what do you have for me on irresistible grace? Well, you know, a couple of things. I would tell you this. Nobody is dragged to heaven. Right. (laughs) Kicking and screaming, right? Nobody's dragged to heaven against his will. God works this irresistible grace in our hearts in a way that man sees and appreciates. Mm -hmm. And for, for those that are listening that have a problem with all of this that we're talking about, I'm going to say, what's the problem? Because in the end, the person that goes to hell, that's what he wanted. Right. That's what he wanted. He right. wanted to go to hell. He right. didn't want to have anything to do with God. He right. didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And if you think God is wrong uh, for some uh, reason for that person going to hell, then i got to tell you, Read Romans, because right. in the place, in Romans 9, mm-hmm. yeah. when Paul says, why would the clay, clay say to the, the potter, potter, why have you made me this right. way? You, you really don't have that. Right. There's, there's a responsibility in man that says this. You have that choice. He did, He's just looking over your sins. You didn't want God anyway. You hated him. So when you go to hell, it's what you wanted in the first place. Right. And I want to quote something. This is from uh, the Five Points of Calvinism. Edwin H. Palmer, mm-hmm. this is what he says. God regenerates the man, changes his nature, and alters his character so that now he hates his sin and loves his God. Mm-hmm. When I read that, I said, that is my story. Right. He changed me. He altered my character. He changed my heart. And isn't this what David prayed mm-hmm. in, in Psalm 51? Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. He said, change my heart. Change my desires. Make make me a man that, that seeks after you. Because in my depravity, mm-hmm. in my total depravity that I was in before I came to Christ, I didn't want God. No. I didn't seek after God. I wasn't looking for him. And it's funny because I can break it down even further in a, in a Ray Comfort quote. The sinner is seeking God as much as a thief is looking for the police station. <laughs> He's not looking to turn himself in. Right. I wasn't looking for God so I can confess all my sins to him and tell him this and that. Because he regenerated my heart, he changed the way I thought. He brought light where there was darkness. He gave new life to a man that was dead in his trespasses and his sins. 
and it changed my character. It made me change. In fact, I was just telling you this story a little while ago, but a friend of mine at work, I was telling her a story from my past, from my criminal past. <laughs> I, I would say my criminal past. And you know, she said something funny to me. She looked at me and she goes, I hate the old you. And I, I said, mean, you, you didn't even know the old me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling her yeah. a story about the old me, but she tells me, I hate the old you. Right. And I looked at her and I said, you know, I hate the old me too. Yeah. I, I, I now can say that I truly hate that guy. And uh, uh, even the sin that may still haunt me from time to time, I hate that too. Right. And so that, yes. is, that is irresistible grace. Yeah, so that's what we mean when we talk about irresistible grace, that it's going to be effectual. You know, it's, it's going to serve His purpose as God uh, displays His grace. All that the Father gives to the Son will be drawn in. So let's go to the last one there, P in TULIP. What does the P stand for? Perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints. So what do we mean when we say perseverance of the saints? Uh, really, um, we touched on some verses already where Jesus says, None that the Father gives me, uh, I'll lose. Right. Uh, when he says that, guess what he's saying? You're secure. Right. We're talking about eternal security here. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the preservation of the saints. It would be maybe better served by, by being called preservation of the saints or eternal security. Right. Some people really buck against this. I've got a lot of people that will tell me that you can't be once saved, always saved. And this is where that yeah. goes, really. Mm -hmm. it, it goes to the place where I have a blessed assurance. Mm -hmm. I have an assurance that Jesus holds me in his hands. And whoever he holds in his hands, who can, who can pluck me out of his hands? Not even myself. I don't even have the power to pluck myself out of Jesus' hands. He has eternally secured my place in heaven. Right. So that's what we mean when we talk about perseverance of the saints. And, and you touched on a word there that people like to push back on. Once saved, always saved. So they say, there's no way you can always be saved. But, you know, the people that push back on that whole view, a doctrine of once saved, always saved, and I don't even like to use that, that terminology, right? So that is really an Armenian uh, word, once saved, right. always saved. You know why? Because Armenians believe that they are the ones that initiated the work of salvation, when they think of once saved, always saved, to them, you know what salvation means? Salvation means that time when you raised your hand, went down an aisle, and said a sinner's right. prayer. So that's salvation. So they're saying, okay, I'm saved there, but then if I backslide or go back to the world, then I can lose my salvation. But see, the Calvinist doesn't even view salvation like that. We see this as a free gift from God that is given and that you hold and that Christ is going to uh, see it, that you are preserved to the very end. Let me just read a, a quick scripture here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Your seal, which is a guarantee. And when you think about the whole analogy that Christ uses back in John chapter 3 of being born again, no one is ever born again, 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 <laughs> right? I was born once in my physical life. October 18th, 19th, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to give away my age. <laughs> that day's never going to happen again. Right. It happened once. Right. And when Jesus uses that analogy, he's talking about being born of the Spirit. When you are born of the Spirit, it happens once. You're giving new life in Christ. And he's going to see to it, and there's other verses we could go to there, but he's going to see to it that, as it says here in Ephesians 1, that you are sealed. And he has given the Holy Spirit as a seal and a guarantee that 
he's going to be able to complete this work that he started in you. We didn't start the work. Amen. He started it. Amen. You. Yeah. And, you know, I love that you say that. That's one of my favorite verses. He that began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. Right. Right. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. He that began that good work is faithful to complete it. Yes. I'm going to share one more verse. And I know we're getting close to the end of our time. But I'm in John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29 say this. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. When I when I look at that, wow, is that not eternal security? Right. Isn't he just guaranteeing us right there that if you're in me, you'll never be lost? Right. And it really, it really drives me to love the Savior more. It drives me to look at the grace that he's given yes. to me and say, you know what, what, what can I do? Renew this right spirit in me. Create in me a clean heart. Every day I want to devote to you, Lord. Psalm 40 says this. He lift me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and made my footsteps firm. Right. He's the one that did the work to bring me out of the muck and the mire, and he set my feet upon a rock. Mm. It's all God. I have no room to boast about this. This is what Paul says. It is by grace you've been saved through faith that no man should boast. Right. I can't boast in having raised my hand or walked the aisle or made a decision. Right. It is all God's doing. Right. No, and that's tulip. That's what that's what it is. It's total depravity. It's unconditional election. It's limited atonement. It's irresistible grace, and it's perseverance of the saints. Now, before we close, Jimmy, I can still hear some objections out there, right? So, I just briefly, I think it'd be wise if we touched on a few scriptures and dealt with a few scriptures where people are going to push back on this doctrine of Calvinism. So, there's a couple of famous guys in in our city, famous preachers in our city. One of them happened years ago. The other happened uh, maybe a few months back. Ed Young Jr. from Fellowship Church out in Grapevine uh, pushed back on Calvinism and Reformed theology, called it deformed theology. And his criticisms were some of the ones that we mentioned to in our last podcast, where, uh, you know, Calvinists don't evangelize, they sit in the room and blah, blah, blah. It was totally a mischaracterization and a caricature of Calvinism. It didn't represent Calvinism well. And recently, uh, one of the famous pastors that pushed back on this was uh, Robert Morris. Is Robert that his name? Morris yeah, Robert Church, Morris yeah. from Gateway Church. And I'm just going to throw out some, some scriptures that he mentioned. And, you know, one thing about Robert Morris pretty much sounds like a smart guy. When he speaks, people feel that he's, he's speaking on things that he's studied well and things that he's uh, read on and things that he's able to speak on, you know, pretty well. He sounds authoritative. He th- sounds authoritative, right? So uh, he's very good at that. If you listen to his, his sermon, uh, Pushing Back on Calvinism, I can see someone who has never heard Calvinism before or understood Calvinism or had anybody teach them about it. I can see how they can take what Robert Morris said and, and run with it and say, yeah, Calvinism is a bad doctrine, something that we should stay away from and run from. And one of the scriptures that he and others that critics of Calvinism, the probably the most famous scripture that they would point to is what? John 3.16. John 3.16, right? Where we read. Right? For we God don't have to go so there, right? loved the world that he right. gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right. So it's obvious that God loves the world and he's given everybody a chance. So you're saying, as you're talking about Calvinism, you're saying that there are elect and there are some non-elect. So if you're going to have elect, you're also going to have non-elect. Well, I don't understand because Jesus said that he loves the world and that whosoever believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So that's saying that it is 
for everyone, right? That everyone uh, has the the chance to uh, to come to Christ on their own and to respond to the gospel and so forth without any initiation in, in regenerating them to salvation. So that objection there, I would just say that us as Calvinists, we have no problem with that verse. Actually, that verse in a way proves our point. Right. Because we go to, in that passage, we go to the whosoever. Whosoever will, right? The God so loved the world that whosoever will. That is the key there. The whosoever will. And what we say as Calvinists is the whosoever will are the elect. The whosoever will are those who God regenerated. Those who God gave eyes to see and ears to hear. Those who were not seeking God, those who were born into sin, totally depraved, who Christ came and illuminated and gave them the faith to to see their need for a Savior. Those are the whosoever will. And those are who Jesus came to the world to, to die for. He came to the world that whosoever will, his elect, will not perish but have everlasting life, right? Right, yeah, right. And you know, I listened to, to parts of that Robert Morris uh, sermon also. And when I heard him saying that, he, he mentioned this because he made it almost a personal opinion kind of thing, where right. he said, I just can't believe in a God that would not allow this to be given to everyone. Mm-hmm. Right? And I would simply say to him, read Romans 9. <laughs> right. And when I look at Romans 9, what it says is, what if God mm-hmm. has chosen those that he would make vessels of honorable use and those that he would make vessels of dishonorable use. Right. All of it, all of it goes to his glory. Right. And just what you said there, how someone can say, I cannot serve a God. That's always going to lead down a bad place. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever we say we cannot serve a God. Well, it's opinion. Right. It's, it's opinion. Yeah. It's, it's his. It's it, it started the argument based on opinion rather right. than starting the argument from Scripture. From Scripture. We exactly. always need to start our arguments from Scripture. Yeah. And if we look in Scripture... And if you say, I have a problem with the God that chooses, well, let me tell you, you're going to have a lot of problem with the Old Testament. <laughs> uh, you, you should pretty much rip out the Old Testament if you have a problem with the God who chooses, because he chose a people yeah. and a nation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Not, not, not just that. I mean, you, you look at when people say things like, I just can't see a God. You know what you're doing? You're creating a God to suit yourself, right. to suit your fancy, right. right? The way God has revealed himself to us in scripture mm-hmm. is the way we need to receive him, right. right? When he shows us who he is from scripture, we need to conform to that, right. not the other way around. Right. We can't twist the Bible around to make it feel suit good us, for us, yeah. suit us, exactly. And so when we when we create a God to suit ourselves, we're, we're, we're delving into idolatry. When we have a problem with the doctrine of scripture... The problem is with us, not Scripture. Exactly. So, one more. Uh, Actually, uh, very quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And we've talked about this one. Uh, First of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4 who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So people are going to pull out verse 4 and say, Look, it says here in my Bible that God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So you're preaching, Pastor Chris, Brother Jimmy, on Calvinism, on a God who chooses, on a God who has elect. But here in Scripture it says that He desires all to come to salvation, to the truth. So what is the disconnect there, right? 
So I would simply say, let's read the verse in context. Let's start in verse 1, where he says that he urges prayers for all people. Not necessarily every single person. He says, who are the all people? Does he mean every person ever lived? No, he's talking about kings in high positions. All kinds of people. He's writing this to, to Timothy, who is a, a lay leader, a lay pastor, living in the first century, working with lay people. People coming from all different walks of life. He's writing to them and he's telling them, Hey, I know you might have some issues with some of these kings and people in high positions that are probably persecuting you at the time. But you know what? Pray for them. Pray for them because I have some elect there. You might see them as enemies, but they are part of the body. Yeah. They, are, they are part of the kingdom. I want you to pray for some of them. Pray for all people because I desire that all people come to the knowledge of the truth. All kinds of people, whether it be you, Timothy, a lay pastor, or whether it be the people that you're ministering to, or whether it be the kings that you consider as enemies. I desire that all types of people come to this knowledge of the truth. If we read it in context, it's clearly there. Yeah. yeah. And I think, um, just going on, going back to the John three sixteen, when we talk about the world, we can look at Revelation and see that around his throne will be some from every tribe, every right. tongue, every nation. He has elect in every tribe, every tongue, every nation. There are going to be some from all walks of life. But we know, and this is basic Christianity, not all people go to heaven. Right. Some people are headed for hell. In fact, Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many that go thereby. Narrow is the way, straight is the gate that leads to life, and there are few who find it. The elect are few. Right. Right? Broad is the path that leads to destruction. destruction. Many are going that way. So you've got to say, hold on a second, right. if it's if he loved the whole world and it was his will that all should be saved, right. then why aren't all saved? Right. There's right. a contradiction there on from the Arminian viewpoint. Yeah, let me from, give you, let me yeah. give you one more. So someone will say, Okay, Pastor Chris, but Jimmy, you, you explained that First Timothy passage talking about all kinds of people, but there's also another reference of all kinds of people in Second in Second Peter chapter three, verse nine, where we read, "The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, has some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." Okay, so there's another one, another pushback. Okay, you might have been able to explain Timothy away or off. What about here in Second Peter 3, verse 9, where he doesn't mention all types of people? You can't refer that he's talking about all types of people, whether it be kings and so forth. He's saying that not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And here's where I got to say, again, understand the context of Second Peter. Peter here is writing to a body, to right. the church. Beloved. Right. Beloved. That's, that's what we go back to, to the beginning. That's what he's writing. He's writing to the elect. And he's telling a particular people, the people of God, that there are some there in your flock that are elect. He's talking about the second coming, that people are saying, oh, he's, he's, he's delaying and so forth. He's not coming. When is it going to happen? But not that he's slow in fulfilling his promise, but it's that he's being patient, not wishing that any of his elect should perish, but that all should reach repentance, not wishing that any of his flock should perish. Right. So we, we examine the context of the scripture. He's, it's not a general letter written to anybody in the whole world. This is a letter written to the, God's people, yeah. to the flock of God, exactly. saying that, look, he's not slow in his promises. He's being patient. He's wishing that all would come, all of his, all his elect would reach this repentance uh, for the day of the Lord. So 
just a couple of few passages I thought we needed to touch on sure. that uh, those that push back on Calvinism might bring up. Right? And just to go basic, basic on you, I'm going to quote somebody you weren't, you're not going to expect. Pastor Chris is going to be surprised when I do this. So everybody that says he's already got a smile on his face, he doesn't know what I'm going to say. Joel Osteen? Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> Forrest Gump said right. this. I don't know if we each have a destiny mm-hmm. or if we're all just floating around accidental like on a breeze. And then he said, but maybe it's both. I don't understand all the mysteries of God. I don't understand everything about God. Right. But I know that his ways are higher than my ways. Right. I know that his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I know that free will can exist at the same time that God's will can't be thwarted. Right. And I've, I've fielded that question when people have told me, how do we know that the books of the Bible are the books of the Bible? And I'll ask, do you believe God is sovereign? They'll tell me yes. And then I'll say, then he's given us 66 books. Right. They're in the canon. There they are. And so that's it. God is sovereign. And I don't understand all the mysteries, but I do know that he teaches us these things. T-U-L-I-P. Right. Okay. Amen. I just want to, you know, end with this. And, and for anybody listening out there that may be struggling and say, well, you know, that's not fair. What about, you know, my friend or my family that's not saved? What if God didn't choose them? Again, like you said, you know, some things are mysteries. Some things, Scripture talks about the secret things that are belonging to the Lord. Right. The secret things belong to the Lord. So we leave those things to the Lord. And we do what's revealed to us. We do what's commanded to us in Scripture. And that is to share the gospel. Yeah. And, and let Him do the work. We don't know who are the elect. We don't know who are the non-elect. So we share the gospel. We leave those secret things that belong to the Lord to the Lord. And for those that say, well, what if I'm not elect? How do I know? Hey, if you're wrestling with those thoughts, turn to Christ. That's all I can say. <laughs> yes. Now is the time of salvation. Everyone who calls upon the Lord shall be saved. Don't never think because you hear a doctrine like this that, oh, I don't. that means I don't have a chance. That means I'm not part of the elect. No, if you're listening to this and, it's struggling, and you're struggling with it, that may be the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart right now yeah. and telling you, turn to Him, call upon Him for salvation. People wrestle with Calvinism and say, well, that means so-and-so might not come to the Lord and so and this and that. You know what? Armenianism has the same problem. If you're an Armenian, you're going to have some friends that are not going to come to Christ. Amen. You know, so there's no issue there. It is what it is. All this doctrine does is give glory to God. It takes the spotlight off a man. It takes the burden off a man. We don't work for our salvation. And it gives glory to God and Him alone. Solely the glory, all right? So we want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. We know we went a little long, and there was a lot to share and a lot more that we can say. I'm sure we left tons out. I'll tell you what, if you got a question on this subject, and this subject's, you know, very difficult for some to understand. If you have a question or concern or maybe even a pushback, hey, send us a a message. Go to thesolacast.com, and there at the bottom you'll see a message there where you can a message board where you can message us, send us a question. Uh, if you have an issue that you want to take up with us, we'll be glad to listen to it and, and uh, you know answer you, right? Or hit us up on Twitter. Twitter, right. At Sola underscore cast. Right. Or hit me up personally, at Los Jimmy. Or I'm at at C Hernandez 214. That's at C Hernandez 214. Again, thesolacast.com. And also, don't forget our church, ecclesiachurch.org. We're there every Sunday, 1030 a.m. Right. Every week, right? 1819 Singleton Boulevard. If you're in the Dallas area, come visit us. But yeah, man, um, you want to sign us out? Let's get to the meat. Let's get to the meat. Okay. I just made this beat right now. I'm MC Goya. 
Okay, listen. Hey, I'm on the ground like El Chapo in a tunnel, eating about 12 tacos. I'll put you in a box like a gato. Punchline stay in my mouth like Mr. Sacco. Jay thinks he runs Christian hip hop. He wears white socks when he wears his flip flops. And he looks like Shook Knight. I put him in a chokehold and say goodnight. It's not me.